If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 14. Um, Last week, we looked at the first 10 verses of chapter 2 and how Paul went back up to Jerusalem to meet with the other apostles. And really, in that text, he recapped for the churches in Galatia that in the midst of that meeting, to make sure they were unified in the gospel, that the servant Titus didn't have to become circumcised, didn't have to follow the Mosaic law, that they, in fact, then resisted the legalism that the false teachers were tempting them with and tempting them to be under, that the gospel would be preserved even for us. And so they didn't yield to these false teachers. And and ultimately, in the end, they were unified in the gospel. But here's, here's what we know to be true of this entire chapter. Peter and Paul are going to argue. They're going to have conflict, and they're going to really differ on some things in their ministries. But in the end, they're going to have gospel unity. And so what we looked at last week was how Peter and Paul's ministries were really to different people. Their audiences are not the same, but their gospel message is. And that is so important for us to understand because ultimately with Paul and with Peter, it's the same gospel, it's the same mission, but it's different people. And so as both went out, they both preached salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so Paul had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised. And Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. And so in this interaction that we saw last week, what came out of Paul's meeting with the apostles was not just unity in message, but fellowship in ministry. And even today, there's a, there's a great need in the local church today to get back to this type of unity, to this type of fellowship. But what we know to be true is what, what tends to happen when you get messy and broken people together, there tends to be conflict, right? And so today we're talking about this important subject, and I know some of you are very excited to talk about conflict, but here's what I know from experience, interacting with all kinds of people and leading all kinds of teams, that conflict is something we often don't do well, and often we don't like it. We don't like conflict, and we often don't do it well, but regardless of how you feel about conflict, and your ability to do conflict, here's what I would say is true of all of us that are believers and followers of Jesus, that that we are called to lean in to conflict. And so really, I, I feel a great desire for this subject because there are many in the church that believe in Jesus, but they don't live like Jesus. Do you get that? That they, they really believe in Jesus, but they don't live like Jesus. And one of the most concerning ways that I've seen in the local church is how we deal with conflict or, or the lack there of dealing with conflict. And honestly, so much good can come out of us leaning into conflict. But we have to do some important work in order for us to see gospel resolve in our conflict. There's some things we need to do. We really need to know our audience. That's really important. We need to consider our our brothers and our sisters across the table, desire to learn their story, not just correct them with conflict. We need to ask important questions, and, and most importantly, we need to care deeply for the growth and the maturity of that brother or sister in Christ. 
Because here's the truth. If you don't care about them, if you don't care deeply for their growth and for their maturity, then it's only about what you have to say. And so ultimately what I would tell you is you need to sit down and you need to shut up. That's really what needs to happen. If you are not caring deeply for that brother, for that sister in Christ, where you're leaning into the conflict intentionally, then you should not be in the midst of that. But I think for some of you, if not all of you, you hate conflict. You want to be a peacekeeper. You want to be the one who keeps the peace, which let me tell you right now, is not biblical at all, by the way. Peacemakers are the ones who bring peace to the conflict and to the chaos. That is biblical. In fact, Jesus told us this in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. But there's a difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Because a peacekeeper is someone who tries to keep people from attacking each other by putting some kind of barrier between them, which often is the peacekeeper themselves. And so the peacekeeper works hard to keep tensions from rising. They work hard at pretending that nothing is wrong and that nothing is bothering them. And so peacekeepers avoid conflict at any cost because in their eyes, conflict is bad. But let me tell you right now that it is both arrogant and ignorant to believe that all conflict is bad. And so my hope through this text that we're going to look at, this topic this morning, is that I hope that we begin to see the value and the need for us to lean into conflict. And so this is what we're going to see from the Apostle Paul, because he's going to lean into conflict. But we need to understand, as we go to unpack this text, we need to understand the key motivation as to why he does this. It's for the sake of gospel unity. It's for the desire for gospel unity. And so what we're going to see and unpack from our text this morning is that we are called to lean into conflict, that we may be free from hypocrisy and keep in step with the truth of the gospel. If you're taking notes this morning, those are your fill in the blanks, that we are called to lean into conflict, that we may be free from hypocrisy and keep in step with the truth of the gospel. And so we're going to read in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11 and going to verse 14. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and and we thank you for the truth of your word. Father, I pray that you would teach us as your church to lean into conflict. God, none of us desire, nor do I desire for our church to like conflict. But Father, I pray that we would have a willingness to lean into it, 
that out of that would become a desire for gospel unity where we are caring deeply for that brother or for that sister in Christ. And so God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your son Jesus that is the perfect advocate to the conflict that was between us and you, God. So it's in his wonderful name that we pray. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So the first is we see that as we're called to lean into conflict is that Paul is getting right to it. He is getting right to the point and he is addressing the the core issue. And we see in verse 11, he says that he opposed him. He opposed Peter to his face because he stood condemned. And so Paul felt strongly about the implications of Peter's actions for the gospel message. And so he confronted him directly. And so really there are two things in verse 11 that are so important for us today because in our 21st century age, we don't do conflict like this. And so the first thing that we can learn from this is we learn to lean into conflict is that Paul leans into the conflict to Peter, to his face. I mean, we don't do this. We, we send messages, we send texts, and ultimately we avoid the person at all cost but we need to get in front of them. We need to get in front of this person and not cower behind social media, not cower behind a message board. We need to get in front of them as Paul does. And he publicly then rebukes Peter. And from that, we may ask, why, does, why doesn't Paul pull Peter aside and practice Matthew 18? Because surely you know that that Peter would have known what Jesus had said in Matthew 18 and how to resolve some of that conflict. Paul would have known. He would have been told or he would have been corrected. But Peter doesn't correct Paul. And so we find our answer as to why Paul publicly rebukes Peter. We see this in the end of verse 12 and in verse 13 when Paul says, he, being Peter, drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So this is where we see the reason why Paul's publicly addressing this. Because what Peter was doing was not something that was only affecting him. This wasn't a personal sin. This was a public issue. And so it was also affecting other brothers and sisters in Christ. As Paul says, it was affecting the rest of the Jews and it was affecting Barnabas. And as a leader, Peter was an example. He was an example and what is at stake here is bigger than one sin, one person's hypocrisy. And so Paul calls this out because this isn't a sin against a brother This is an error. This is a sin that completely contradicts the gospel. And one thing we know about Paul is that he isn't concerned with what people think about him. He isn't concerned about what people think about him, but he is concerned about what people think. Think about that for a second. Paul isn't concerned about what people think about him, but he's deeply concerned about what people think. And so because of this, Paul risks public opinion for the sake of gospel unity. And he even told us this earlier in Galatians chapter one and verse 10. He said, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? 
If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And so Paul's not concerned with with what others think about him. He's concerned with gospel unity. And so he leans into the conflict intentionally. But what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in these conflict situations? What's our application? I think there's some important things that that we need to do together as we look to lean into conflict. And for myself, there's some important questions I ask that always help me when stepping in, and especially before stepping into conflict. I encourage you, if you're someone who struggles with leaning into conflict with other believers, ask yourself these questions. The first question I always ask myself is, if I pulled all the emotion out of this issue, what is still true? If I pulled all of the emotion out of it, what is still true? And then when the emotion is pulled out, still feeling it, but pulled out and and finding what is still true, I ask, what caused this? And, And listen to me on that question. Not who, but what. What caused this conflict? Then I think another important question for us to ask is, how do I best communicate my hurt, my concern, and a solution to this issue. And then I think there's some practical application as we ask those questions. That one, we need to pray about it. We need to pray about all these conflicts that we would step into and lean into. We need to seek godly counsel in it. We need to to write it down, see it in front of us. And we need to bring it before them. And so let me tell you this. As you, as you think about all these things, because some of you, out of being overwhelmed with conflict, you try to solve everybody's problems and you become a peacekeeper. So let me encourage you with something. You do not have to attend every conflict you are invited to. Hear me on this. You do not have to attend every conflict you are invited to. And and here's what I want you to know with clarity. I'm not talking about being passive or avoiding the conflict. But I mean, could you imagine if there was a Facebook blackout for believers? I mean, we'd get work done. Because some of you who just banter and you bicker online would have nothing else to do but go be the church. And so let me tell you right now, just because a microphone has been put in front of your face on a social media platform does not mean that there is a scriptural mandate for you to speak into it. You do not have to attend every conflict you are invited into because there is a difference between someone who wants to stir up division based on minor differences and someone who is trying to lean into conflict with you and reach resolve and gospel unity. And so you can tell by the passion of how I'm talking, this is big to me because I think often where the church is lazy is that we argue more than we get to work. And so let me just tell you also in the, in the context of your marriage, we know that conflict will come. We know that. I mean, one of the questions you will often ask a couple is, you know, especially from a pastor's perspective, when I do premarital counseling, you know, what are some of the fights? What are some of the arguments you guys have had? And oh, they come out. They come out because conflict will come. But especially you husbands, I want you to lean in for a second. If there is a conflict that is happening between your wife 
and someone else if it is not your conflict for the love of God, stay out. <laughs> for the love of God, stay out. And, and, and listen to me on this. It's a serious issue when we have married people believing that it's their duty to confront someone for their spouse. This is wrong. This is deeply wrong. So let me tell you the truth about this. You are more of a coward than your spouse if you, are, if you are fighting their battles for them because you are not leaning into the conflict with your own spouse. So there's a great need to grow up, to, to get honest and to love your wife, to love your husband enough to point out their own error in that. So don't let this go on. There's a deep need to lean into conflict, but if it's not your conflict, stay out. Encourage them to lean into conflict. Men, become the type of godly men that your wife can lean on for wisdom as she steps into that conflict. Encourage them to lean themselves. But if it's not your conflict, stay out. And so the second thing we learn from Paul, from verse 11, is that Paul leans into the conflict because Peter stood condemned. See, there isn't conflict between Paul and Peter because of a personal issue, but because of a gospel issue. And so Paul clearly identifies that Peter is acting in hypocrisy, and that is a problem. By him treating a certain group special and another disregarding, that's a gospel issue. And so he says that he's acting in hypocrisy. And the word hypocrite in the original language of the Bible means one who puts on a mask. And so this is important because leaning into the conflict with a brother or a sister in Christ means that our work is about pointing them to Christ. And so ultimately in that, leaning into the conflict is about helping them see their mask it's not trying to rip the mask off of them. It's helping them see the mask that they're wearing. And then ultimately that we would point them back to Christ. And why? Why do we do this? We do this so that those brothers and sisters in Christ may be free from hypocrisy. That we also may be free as well. Because those who are living in hypocrisy are not free people. They are under a weighty bondage. And so someone who is living in hypocrisy, often what we'll see in this person is that it's someone who's saying one thing with their actions, but believing another in their hearts. Another thing we'll see from them is they avoid criticism from others. Maybe others who are influential, others that they're close to, others that appear smarter, more intelligent than them. And by avoiding this compromise, this, this criticism, they do so by compromising their gospel belief for others' comfort. And ultimately, this type hypocritical person is more concerned with the fear of man. And so this was Paul's concern with the hypocrisy he saw in Peter and the other leaders. In verse 12, in fact, Paul Paul tells us that Peter drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. 
And so Paul doesn't mention that the people coming from James tried to persuade Peter. It only says that their presence intimidated Peter and caused him to act against the truth of the gospel. And so Peter's actions are hypocritical because he knew the truth of the gospel and that Jews and Gentiles were no longer under the law, but under Christ. And we see this throughout the book of Acts in Peter. That in Acts chapter 10, in the 23rd verse, we see that through a vision from God, Peter learns that the gospel is not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And that he also learned this from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon Gentiles as they became believers, apart from being circumcised. And we see that in verses 44 through 48 of Acts 10. And then the next chapter over, Peter becomes an advocate reasoning with the church leaders that the gospel is for all who would believe, not just Jews, but Gentiles. But now there's an issue because Peter turns back on all that he had known about the place of Gentiles in the church. And he treats uncircumcised Gentiles as if they are not saved at all. And why does he backslide? Why does he contradict himself? Well, we saw in verse 12, it's because of fear. See, this is what we know to be true, is that there is a type of consuming fear and anxiety that legalistic people would have you live under and apply to your own beliefs. But let me tell you the truth of the word, that the gospel does not produce fear. It produces confidence and hope and boldness. And that is not some five-minute presentation for you to feel better. It's the truth for you to live as kingdom people. And so Paul also told this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7. He says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so let me tell you this. If you came in this morning tense and depressed with fear or an overwhelming feeling of anxiety, constantly wondering, is something gonna go wrong? Your primary need is to see the truth of the gospel again, is to continue to see this beautiful truth laid out in scripture. And so we need to stop for a moment. We need to ponder, ponder what it implies about God's intention towards us that he gave his son to die for you and I. Because the gospel means that God Almighty is for you, not against you, if you would trust in him. And so this is why Paul even reasons with the Romans in Romans 8.31. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So let me tell you the truth of scripture. God is for you. And because of this, he gave you and I, Jesus, that we would believe in him and walk in him. So if you are someone who wrestles with hypocrisy to be free from this, what you need is the gospel. 
But if we're going to get after real change, if we're going to walk out of here as kingdom people and not hypocritical people, we have to get after the heart, the real issue, not external morality. Because we know that that legalists and especially the Pharisees, they had external morality down, but not the heart issue. So to get after the heart, we need to seek repentance in our hypocrisy and turn then to Jesus. This is why Psalm 139 is so beautiful in verse 23 and 24. Literally gives us a beautiful example of coming before the Lord with a repentant heart. As the psalmist cries out, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Listen, if you are in Christ, you have been forgiven. You have been set free. So reminding yourself of the gospel, believing in the gospel, applying the gospel, constantly preaching the gospel to yourself is about walking in Christ, not in hypocrisy. And so this is so important for us that we would continue to remind ourselves that if God is for us, who can be against us? That we wouldn't apply any other thinking of what others think about us, but that we would apply the truth of what God thinks about us, the truth of what he says about us, that we have forgiveness, that we can receive forgiveness for walking in our error if we're walking in hypocrisy. And this is why in in commentating on this passage, Martin Luther wrote, no man's standing is so secure that he may not fall. If Peter fell, I may fall. If he rose again, I may rise again. Because we have the same gifts that they had. The same Christ, the same baptism, and the same gospel, and the same forgiveness of sins. And so if you are in Christ, you have been set free. So it's not about you walking in that hypocrisy and trying to manage all of the external morality. It's about you getting at the heart that you would walk in Christ and walk as someone who is set free. And since we have been set free by the truth of the gospel, now we need to keep in step with the truth of the gospel. And really this means that we are desiring for every area of our lives to be in sync with the gospel that there's no area, not a single iota of our lives that is not influenced by the gospel. But there is a a life in step with the gospel and there is a life out of step with the gospel and they are not the same life. In verse 14, Paul challenges Peter's hypocrisy because it was out of step with the gospel. When he says in verse 14, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And so the problem here was that Peter's actions were not only conflicting with the truth of the gospel, they were also creating a double standard. That he was living one thing and forcing another 
by model. And by this, he was not living in gospel freedom. And so this is why I mentioned earlier that those who are living in hypocrisy are not free people. They are under a weighty bondage. Because really, if if Peter had applied the gospel truth here, in that moment, he would have seen the gospel's work is more dear to him than the social acceptance of others. And he would have also understood that it is good and right for him to show mercy to the Gentiles because of the greatest mercy that was shown to him in Christ on the cross. But at that moment for Peter, he saw social acceptance as more precious to him than the gospel truth. And so Paul opposes Peter. And ultimately in all of this, it was because what was at stake was gospel unity and gospel freedom for the church, for Peter, for the leaders, and also for us today. This is what was at stake. So when any leader, even Peter, calls us to works of the law, working in that way, to be accepted by God, to receive salvation, we need to reject that and lean into the conflict because that is legalism. And that is out of sync with the gospel. Because let me remind you, our freedom in Christ means that we are no longer under the law or under a moral system. But it also means that we are in a daily reliance upon Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us, as Paul would say in Ephesians 5.2. And so as we come to a close this morning, I want to just repeat this question to you that we continue to go over and I have you continue ask to continue to ask yourselves are you living in gospel freedom because if this is true of you then we must be willing to lean into conflict that we all may be free from hypocrisy and that then we can keep in step with the truth of the gospel and so I want to encourage you to keep asking this question Are you living in gospel freedom? Let's pray.